Fulhamish is back for the season by Labrooks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to Fulhamish Extra, your extra slice of Fulham FC content. My name's Sammy James. Thank you for tuning in today. Hope you've all had a cracking international break. A little bit of a break for Fulhamish as well, but we are back and better than ever. Looking forward to Saturday's Man City game. And also we've got the debut of the stat show coming up in this episode. I'm joined quickly now by Ben Jarman. How you doing? Hi, Sammy. Doing really well. How are you? Yes, all good. Thank you. So, uh quick chat about Man City um, yep. before we also speak to Lewis Steele who is from City Watch who's going to give us a bit of an insight into a very very difficult task this weekend and then it's your debut on the stats show with uh, Nick McNee and George Singer uh, I imagine you're very excited so excited yeah I can't wait to get both the guys in and get it on video and uh, up on YouTube I'm sure they'll come up with some amazing points and uh, some really well researched points as well so uh, just to say that this season Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes for exclusive specials and promotions head to bets.fulhamish .co.uk so Ben Man City on Saturday away at the Etihad is there a harder challenge at the moment in European football than what Fulham face on Saturday absolutely not probably the best team in world football at the moment with perhaps the best coach of all time at the helm Um, it's a team that you know last season won the Premier League at at Acanto I think you'd probably say and got a record points haul um, whilst doing it this year they haven't looked as strong as they did last year I think they're playing slightly slower um, and getting less chances per game but it doesn't mean they're any less dangerous Um, they've probably got the best assembled squad in the whole league the best balanced squad in the whole league and it'll be our toughest test of the whole season How do you think Fulham are going to approach this because I think that's been the million dollar question and something that we've been actually asking pretty much since promotion we've been saying when Fulham play Man City how is Slavisa going to approach this because his style of football that he's famed for installing on this Fulham team which is so attractive on the eye is so attacking is so open I mean surely he'll get torn to pieces if we go with the same model against City but then I've seen others saying that that's the way to try and take on this Man City team well, as much as it's painful to say, I think the blueprint is probably Wolves. Um, they took it. They took the game to City. They really started to expose City in areas where other teams hadn't really probed them before. Um, they tried to get them in wide areas. They tried to go long and direct um, behind, uh, I think it was Laporte and company that day. And they really did get some joy out of them, um, especially um, the result was a positive one. But if we look at it from a Fulham point of view, so Lavisa is not going to change anything. We know this. Uh, he took on Spurs and he, he went at Spurs at Wembley. Um, and we had a good account of ourselves despite the scoreline. And I think we will remain the same against City. I think, as we will discuss in the stats show, we're up there with probably the best passes in the league. We create a lot of chances per 90. And I think we'll really take it to City, whether this means that we get torn to shreds or not. I don't think anyone really cares. It's a little bit of a free hit. And I think it's a good chance for us to show what we can do against the best team in the league. Is, you say it's a free hit, and I'm not denying that it is. No one is expecting any amount of points. But surely Fulham won't want to get battered. And that is a very distinct possibility. Um, better teams than Fulham have gone to Man City and been given a tonking. I remember Liverpool last season, who were you know, this great side that are trying to take them on this year. And they might have a chance of doing so. But they you know, they left between with their tail between their legs, losing yep. 5-0 in the league Obviously, I know they won there in the Champions League. Um, so do you think Fulham will be a bit worried about 
the confidence blow that could be suffered losing five, six, which it is possible. Absolutely, but there are other teams that go there and they lose five, six. Huddersfield lost six, one there, I believe, this yeah. year. Um, and they don't, it doesn't seem to have affected them. They come out the next game and they got a fairly positive result at home. Um, I do think that Fulham... It's, it's a really t- it's a really tough um, answer to give because the likelihood is that we will probably lose and that there will be goals shipped against us and I think if we're being realistic the Fulham players will probably know that as well I don't know if it'll be a big confidence hit or uh, it'll be a massive confidence boost if we go out of a positive result I think that's a good yeah. way to look at it so really I think for me what I would just like to see is is Fulham come out of it with an encouraging performance. Mm-hmm. If we can come out there with a goal, maybe even scaring Man City for me, that that is great. And I know it sounds so awful to have this defeatist attitude, but we just are facing almost a once-in-a-generation team, aren't we here? Yeah, a once-in-a-generation team and a once-in-a-generation coach. And we went to Spurs. We had an encouraging performance there. And this yeah. is a Spurs team that was absolutely dismantled by Manchester City twice last year. Um, so I think any positive we can get out of it will be a huge one Um, we took it to Spurs and there we were very much in our infancy and then these opening four games of the season we've had four really encouraging performances Um, a lot has changed since the time that Fulham were in the Premier League I think just before we got relegated Man City had that incredible Premier League win with Mm -hmm. Aguero getting the winner against QPR and Aguero but this, this Man City cha- team has, has changed a lot yeah. since then. But what I was going to say is we have got quite a good record up at the Etihad or the City of Manchester Stadium, as it, as it used to be known. I was there when uh, Steve Malbronk and Louis Bowen-Morte <laughs> broke Fulham's long away uh, drought yeah. at the City of Manchester. We've got a, a few other famous wins there as well, even since they've you know had money. Yeah. Well, the, the, when they were under Taksin Sinawatra, I think is his name, uh, we had a very famous win there in our uh, Great Escape season. Yes, of course. Obviously. How could I forget? Uh, and we do, ha- we do have a good record against them overall. I think one of my favourite games is when the nouveau reach Man City came to uh, Craven Cottage and went 2-0 up fairly early on. Um, and we managed to peg it back to 2 all. And we probably should have gone on to win that game had it not been for a very very informed Yaya Torre really yeah. controlling in the middle of the park is that the one I where f- company spooned it over uh, his own keeper I'm not that sure that was a different was. game wasn't it was a different it? game yeah um, but yeah some good memories up at the Etihad of course yeah. the great escape and uh, that game I, I mentioned beforehand I think it might have been Collins John actually who got on the score sheet can't remember can't remember either um, anyway let's speak to a Man City fan uh, and find out the challenges that Fulham will face on Saturday I spoke to Lewis Steele of City Watch which is a brilliant brilliant kind of Man City blog podcast social media account those guys absolutely smash it over there Uh, and I started off by asking Lewis what kind of threat he thinks Fulham can pose to City on Saturday well I went Wolves the other week um, against City and I think it'll be similar to that it, I don't think Fulham will sit back like uh, most teams do at the Etihad. I think they will try and attack us. Um, so I don't, I don't think it'll be an easy game by any stretch of the imagination for City fans. And it, it almost angers me when I see City fans on Twitter and Facebook and stuff saying, you know, it's a guaranteed three points against Fulham. But Fulham are a really good side. You've got a brilliant manager, some brilliant players. So I think it'll be quite a tough game for City, not not a walking apart that some may expect. Um, but... I mean, City fans have reason to think that lots of games will be easy now. You've, you've demolished yeah. some very, very good teams at the Etihad. What's the worst way that Fulham could approach this game? What is a classic setup that you think, OK, 
City are going to demolish you here. Well, there's a classic setup which is it's like a five-four-one formation, and they just don't try and attack. They just almost come to the Etihad, and you can almost tell from the first minute that they say, "Right, a point here would be brilliant. We'll try and keep it nil-nil at one-one till 80 minutes, and then we'll try and attack." It's what Newcastle did the other week, and although we only beat them two-one, and we weren't great. I think they had two shots in the whole match. One of them was a goal, actually. Mm. But it was just, for, for a Newcastle perspective, I just thought they just sat back and like exp- almost expected to for, for us to come on to them. And it just didn't work at all. I think Fulham do need to sort of, you know, assert themselves and try and get us on the break because City do not leave many men back. So there is space to attack us. But those attacking outlets that you have are a well-known, world-renowned as well. And um, is there any way that Fulham can stop Sergio Aguero? I think uh, seeing some of Fulham's defensive performance against Brighton a couple of weeks ago, um, the fear is deep inside me what some of your attacking players could do to Fulham on Saturday. I mean, they could rip apart any team in the world on their day. Well, that's the thing. That, that That is it now. That City have to believe that they are one of the best teams in the world. And they are one of the best teams in the world. And they've got... It's not just Sergio Aguero. It's, uh, it's Sterling, who's had a great start to the season after poor World Cup. We've got uh, Sarni, who's not... He didn't even make the bench last uh, last game because of problems off the pitch. There's Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez. There's so many players that can hurt someone. It's just whether they can all you know, gel together and play really because some weeks they just they just don't but of most of the time, nine times out of ten, they are brilliant and they're hard to stop. The player that I've been so impressed with this season is is Benjamin Mendy. He's really come into this City team. Obviously, so unfortunate that he was injured for so long uh, last season, and his kind of City debut was was short lived. Really, he's had he's added something completely different though to this City side this season. Yeah, well. It's been said probably millions of times, but it is a new signing for City, Benjamin Mendy, pretty much. He's a... I, I don't like to disrespect Fabian Delph last season because he was brilliant defensively, but he didn't. He doesn't offer anything going forward. He, Whereas Benjamin Mendy, he's got four assists already. So aside from that being brilliant for your fantasy team, it is just, it's just a different outlet. It's just... Kyle Walker did it last season, but he he wasn't as good. But now Benjamin Mendy gets it, and his first thought is to get the ball into the box, get his head up, look for Aguero, look for Gabriel Jesus, whoever's in there, and he gets it in. And most of the time he finds his man, and we've been unlucky unlucky that he's only got four assists. He could have more. But he's just a constant source of attacking threat on the left, and it just gives us more of a balance, really, going forward. Yeah, I think the Premier League record is 20 assists. I think that was Henri. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mendy uh, pushes that uh, unbelievably close this year. So do you think that City can be quite as dominant as you were last year? There was basically no teams that really posed a massive threat. I think you only lost twice. Was it the Liverpool and Man United defeats? And especially against teams in the bottom half of the league you just seem to walk those games at times but the league has got a little bit stronger over the summer do you think it's going to be difficult for for City to replicate the absolute dominance that you had last season well last season we finished on 100 points so that's not going to happen again I don't think that'll ever happen again no I don't think so because there are teams that I've got better Liverpool the obvious choice, but also there's Chelsea who who were poor last season. They've got a new manager, some new faces. They look better, and the Spurs who've um, you know they they've had a good start to the season as well, despite their loss to Watford. So 
there, there are be- the teams around us are getting better. Um, whereas we we only signed Riyad Mahrez this summer, who is a good player, but he's he's not gonna win you a league on his own sort of thing. But I think despite that, we are still the favourites for the league. Um, I just I can't picture us winning it by 18, 19 points again. But I think we will win it again. It just won't. It just be a lot tougher. We've got to go to places like Anfield and get a result, which we haven't done since 2003, which is ridiculous. But if have, we you can got, do that... have you got over the novelty of it, uh, being a City fan and, and having these kind of conversations about your team? Because, <laughs> look, we're both historically little brothers in a, in a small fish in a big pond in terms of our city. You know, we always... Uh, uh, looking down, you know, looking up at Chelsea and uh, and you guys for so many years. Manchester United were the dominant force, and yet now Man City is one of the most feared teams in the world. It, it must still be kind of pinch yourself moments that you have as a City fan with, with some of the experiences that you're having. Yeah, it's it's still surreal. It's like, and I think some fans have have the novelty has worn off, and they've got a bit greedy. There's times where. I walked out of the Newcastle game last week and we won, but we didn't play well and everyone was moaning. But I just, in my head, I was thinking, 10 years ago, you you, wouldn't, you walk out of a game and you've got three points. Everyone would be buzzing, everyone would be singing, chanting. But everyone was saying, that was awful today. We, we've got to be better. It's just people have got a bit greedy. But for me, the novelty hasn't worn off. For me, I, there's sometimes games where, like the Champions League nights, for example, I look around and the atmosphere is great. Every, everyone's having a brilliant time. And it's almost pinch yourself. It's like, how have we got, how's this happened in such a short space of time, really? Yeah, Ten of course. Uh, Fulham have a good amount of uh, fans going up to the Etihad, or the city of Manchester Stadium, as I sometimes like to naturally <laughs> call it. Um, what's your advice for an away fan visiting the Etihad for the first time? You know, where should they drink? What should they do pre-match? I've always quite liked the Etihad because it is so close to the city centre, as opposed yeah. to when you go to Old Trafford, it is actually startlingly far away from Manchester. Well, if if they get in the train, there's there's hundreds of pubs within a five ten minute walk from the train station. Yeah. Just turn right out of Piccadilly. There's a there's the Piccadilly tap, which is probably the first one you come to. But if you venture out a bit further, you've got all of um, the Northern Quarter, Port Street, Bearhouse is brilliant pub. And then from there, it's probably best if well if, if it's raining or something, you might want to get a taxi for about five six pounds. But it's about a twenty minute walk. Um, it's a nice walk. Uh, you can walk up the river if you want, um, and then obviously the away end is it, well. It's a brilliant stadium. There's a lot of things around the ground if you want to get something to eat or drink nearer to the ground. Um, it's just uh, whatever happens. Fulham fans will have a brilliant day. If if, if they get battered six 0 I'm sure they'll have a brilliant day out in Manchester because it's a great city and they'll just have a fun day really. Yeah, and, and as you say, for Fulham, it's a little bit of a free hit on, on Saturday. We'd love to go up there, get a point. I mean, in our absolute wildest dreams, nick it and get three. It would be a real statement for Fulham. But at the end of the day, if we lose three or four nil, I think the fans, the players, the coaching staff probably don't expect too much else. And it's certainly not a disgrace. I just hope we can go up there and, uh, and give those travelling support uh, a little bit of a performance. Sure. Um, finally, from you, Lewis, uh, it'd be just great to get a, a quick prediction for the match. Well, I think it'll be, a, as I said at the start, I think it will be a tough game, but 
I do think City have got to win. They've had Pep keeps drilling on about this international break. He wants to work with his players more, and he said after the break they'll be better. So I think they'll come back better. We'll still miss uh, De Bruyne, but we've got enough talent to hopefully. I think Fulham may may make a goal, so I'm going to go three uh, one win City. Do you know what, Lewis? I might even just take that now. That would be uh, <laughs> not too bad uh, from a Fulham perspective. Um, Lewis, thank you for chatting to Fulhamish. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and when I'm not winding up Reading fans, I'm listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Fulhamish Stats Show. I'm Ben Jarman. Today, we present to you your monthly deep dive into Fulham, both on the pitch and off the pitch, in the form of stats. And today, I'm joined by two gentlemen here that will translate the numbers for you. Uh, firstly, I'd like to introduce a man that has solved more numeric encryptions than the Bletchley Park Codebreakers. It's Nick McNee. Hello. And I'm also joined by George Singer, who is our version of the Janser from Goodwill Hunting. Hello. Hello, hello. How are you doing, guys? Very well, yeah. Very good. Happy. Yeah. yeah, very good. Thanks for both coming on to, obviously, our debut show of the Stats Show. Um, it's something that we've been wanting to pioneer for a long time and something that we're debuting now into the international break. We've got some massive topics coming up uh, over the next 15, 20 minutes that these boys will be looking to dissect. Um, and I think what we'll start to do is we'll start with perhaps the biggest topic that has raged across those opening four games of the Premier League season, which is Betts versus Fabry. Um, obviously, Bettinelli is currently in the role of number one goalkeeper and he's also in the England squad, which a lot of us are going to be incredibly happy about. But I think the question is, who is or has been the better keeper over those opening four games of the season and uh, the pros and cons of both and who do we think should be starting long term? I think if you're looking from a very basic point of view, we've got obviously got four points of Marcus Bettinelli and zero with Fabry. So I guess from that point of view, you could say Bettinelli is. But in terms of a style of play, I think Fabry is personally more comfortable on the ball. But given the fact that um, he can't really speak English just yet, I would suggest that probably Bettinelli for the time being, given that he can speak English, communicate the defence, because we really do place importance on communication with the defence because the goalkeeper organises the back line, you know, tells people where to go at set pieces, etc., etc. That, for the time being, I think Marcus Bessel is our best option in goal. Yeah, I guess of the, the two there, and I guess we, we probably should mention Sergio Rico as well, also in our books, you know, from a... From a data point of view, I don't think there's there's necessarily one that really stands out between them. Um, and I guess probably, you know, we're seeing that in the selection, giving that, you know, all of them have had kind of a, a similar amount of time. So I don't, I think it's clear that we got three good goalkeepers and perhaps not, not one standout. Um, I think, you know, all of them have pros and cons. And, and like Nick said, you know, Betts' communication clearly is, is better than the other two. Um, and also, I... Personally, I think Betts is a is a really good shot stopper in um in the championship last year. His, you know, some of his numbers were really good. So, for instance, uh, one thing you can look at from a from a keeper side is goals per shots on target. Yeah. I.e., you know, if the shot goes off target, you know, there's nothing a keeper can do anyway. So yep. why even look at that data? So, uh, Betts concedes uh kind of about 22 percent of the the shots which come on target, which is a a really healthy save rate compared to Fabry. It's a bit better. Um, and Rico on the other side had a really poor season last year. His data is is really, really poor. So from my side, kind of Betts and Fabri are, are quite similar in a lot of their numbers from a save point of view. Um, Rico, a few years ago, was putting out really strong numbers and lately, year after year, they've been dwindling. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether he can turn it around and whether, you know, our 
without a goalkeeping coach, whether whether Fulham's the right place for him to, to turn his career around a bit. Yeah, I think one thing we have to be really aware of with Sergio Rico is that over these past few seasons at Sevilla, he's had a lot of different coaches and all of them have wanted to play a different way. You've gone from Emery, who's wanted to play out the back, to Montella, who's slightly more defensive. Um, and then he's he's had a couple of others in there on the very short term. I think what we look about, it, what we want to look at, sorry, is more likely the, the style of play that all three of them have had. And I think the good place and the good basis to start on all that style of play is to look at their distribution uh, and all three keepers. We know bets, you know, can lack at times on distribution, but it'd be good to understand his numbers. Um, yes, yeah, so from, uh, from a distribution side, so I guess in my mind, there are kind of two things you can look at. So how often you go short compared to long. So, you know, short percentage or average length um, and then your percentage. So how, how many, you know, times you kick the ball out, does it actually go to one of your players? Um, from a distribution side, like how, how often his, his passes find the right person, it's, it's about 70% of the time, which is kind of pretty good. It's not, not incredible. What's the benchmark for a normal elite level keeper so again around 70% so comparing to comparing the three so Betts is uh, just under 70% Fabry is just over 70% and Rico over the last couple of years has, has really been struggling it's around 60% so good numbers Yeah. Um, but Betts does go longer a lot more of the time so I think a, a little while ago we I put out an article about Betts versus Button uh, and compared the two Betts goes longer a lot more um, and you know there's we know how Slav likes to play we know how he, he likes his possession football um, so to me that's that's always been a thing that maybe you know maybe will count against Betts that when under pressure he goes longer a bit more than, yeah. than some of the other keepers I think just a generic trend that you've noticed in like the past four well past year or so is that we like to kick out particularly to our fullbacks so we can get attacks going quickly and in the first two games Fabry really I think did okay okay, you know relatively okay at it but better know that's something he's always struggled with since his introduction to the side when he came back in for David Button last year so I think in terms of a kicking point of view which I'm not 100% sure if we want to be focusing on because obviously we're not going to be a high caliber Premier League team just yet if we're going to be a high caliber team Shot stopping is probably where we should be looking at, and I think Marcus Bettinelli, out of the three options, he's probably the best one we have at that. So, what's his save percentage per shot like, or his, his save percentage in general like compared to the other three? Uh, his save percentage last year, off the top of my head, was about sixty percent. I think, yeah. give or take, maybe one or two percent. Um, he left in, he let in about sixty actual goals last year yeah. um, when he came in at Sunderland away, whereas in reality the, che- the team conceded about twenty four. So he really overachieved last year, but. Is that luck? Is that just a good defence? Or is he actually a good keeper? Like, you've all got to consider those factors. Well, he, ke- he kept upwards of 15 clean sheets last year, didn't yeah. he? So I think mm. it goes some way to discover, discover the calibre of, of how good Marcus Bessinelli really is, which probably goes some way as to why there's been a huge outcry of support for him uh, from the Fulham fans over the past few months, uh, especially in the opening few games of the season. Plus, he got called up to the England squad. So absolutely. You've got to take that into account. Yeah. Um, I think another thing that we want to talk about here is, again, it's sort of linked to the keepers and perhaps the, the distribution, but a lot of people talk about high-value chances uh, that are given away in games. And uh, against Brighton, uh, Fulham had a goal against expectancy of nine, which isn't obviously helped by the fact that we had two penalties against us. Um, mm. But in the previous, previous games against Burnley, uh, the expectation of goals against was six. Um, and it was um, slightly 
around about the same mark against Spurs and, and again in our opening game of the season against Crystal Palace. But does Fulham's style of play really, really open ourselves up to high quality of chances? And are we that bad compared to the rest of the league, perhaps? It does, but I think that's much more of um, a lot of new signings have come in. Like we've basically got three out of our four new players. Are, well, they're all just brought in now quite recently. So there's still a lot of cohesiveness to come in, which hopefully over the past two weeks they've worked on, you know, a bit more. Maybe not. I think Fossey Mendes is away, but on international yep. duty. But I think our tactic, we, we're always going to play a higher, you know, a high defensive line. We're not going to change that. Slav's not going to suddenly go, you know, all big Sam, low block, etc. <laughs> whatsoever. So... I think our attacking style does lead to maybe us giving up some more higher value chances like we saw that against Brighton. I mean, I wouldn't really consider penalties like penalties are just, you know, the, the ones we saw against Brighton, like Mitrovic shouldn't have done what he did by handballing. That was, that was a silly, it wasn't really like us, the defence giving up a bad chance. That was just a silly mental error. Yeah, but so, there, there are points where you'll have Kevin McDonald losing the ball in a, in a dangerous position, for example. Well, yeah, which are which <laughs> one, are defensive that, errors, yeah. And two that immediately spring to mind is the, the first goal against us for, for Burnley, where Maxine Lamarchand lost the ball in a, in a key area. And then again, the same player lost the ball in a key area against Brighton. Obviously, that's a contributing factor. Yeah, and you've got, you know, the Chambers losing the ball against Spurs, which I think Harry Kane finished in the end, but uh, but it was offside or, or a foul or something. Um, I think, you know, there, there's two things to think about. So when, you know, when the opposition's on the break, um, I think we definitely leave ourselves open there. And I yeah. think that's just a natural consequence of the way that we play. Yeah. And I think we've got to kind of accept that there's always going to be some, some risk, you know, with the fullbacks pushing up, with midfielders pushing up. You know, a lot of the time we've only got two central defend uh, central defenders and a and a CDM back. So against quick uh, quick attackers, if we if we misplace a pass like Le Marchand or Chambers has, yeah. I think we're going to have to accept that. You know, we're we're going to take some risk there. Um, I think you know for maybe maybe slow attacks when we've got time to get people back. I think we're okay. Yeah. I don't think we're great. I don't think we're ever going to be the best defensive team in the league. I don't yeah. think Slavs interested in that kind of thing um i think we'll we'll talk a bit more about him later but you know from my side i love the introduction of anguisa yep. i think he's really mm -hmm. going to help with some of this stuff mm -hmm. um and you know when for the times where we've got time to uh you know get our players back get our organization get our shape i think that's where when some of the new players bed in i think that's where we're gonna gonna see some improvement so what makes you like the introduction of, of anguisa into our play a little bit more have you got any stats that we can use he's a defensive monster that's a big he's stat. A yeah. Yeah, he's, he in, in France, he was extremely mobile for a defensive midfielder. Like, so basically the complete polar opposite in terms of, well, physical build and whatnot. He puts on like, well, in Marseille particularly, he had Luis Gustavo next to him, who is, you know, won, won a Champions League, I believe, of Bayern Munich. Yep. Um, he's really good in terms of regaining the ball with pressure and whatnot, which I think is perfect for Slavisha Jokanovic's system. Like, yep. Slav likes pressing. Anguissa is the perfect defensive midfielder for a high press. So Anguissa, correct me if I'm wrong, had one of the, the highest takeaways and the correct. highest distribution of possession in the final or midfield third of the whole of mm -hmm. Ligue 1, didn't he? So there's definitely pedigree to him, regardless of what Dom says or what Jack says about <laughs> his Europa League final display. There is something there for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I, think, I don't think you should really take into account a Europa League final considering it's a, you know, played at a neutral venue. You know, you've got, you're playing up against a Diego Simeone team, which yep. is probably the best defensive unit there is for a long, long time, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't really take that into account too much. But um, no, I think I'm really excited to see Anguisa come on. I mean, he's already actually averaged... Um, 
I believe, ninety-two point five percent passing completion. So he's already he's already he's already fit in quite well. Yeah. When you've got Seri at ninety point four and Kenny at ninety-four percent completion. So passing. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but it gets us onto our our next point uh, really really quickly and really really nicely actually. The thing that we wanted to talk about is our passing game versus others. There was a really really cool um, conversation on Five Live a couple of weeks ago about how Manchester City's passing tempo this season versus last season has dropped somewhat, and therefore they're lo- they're making it much harder for them to create uh, worthwhile chances per 90 and it would be really good to understand what Fulham's passing tempo is like versus the rest of the league and then obviously how our midfielders play under that fast tempo and who's good at distributing the ball and who's slightly bad across the league yeah so I think it's a really interesting one there's definitely loads of parallels between between us and Man City which is pretty awesome really um, from a passing point of view the amount of passes and our, our average possession again like we're kind of top five in the league so for a for a newly promoted team that's that's absolutely amazing and there's bits of their play which we I, I'm sure we've kind of taken from so mentioned a bit earlier about in City when they're playing with the back four fullbacks will push up and Fernandinho will, will come back and kind yeah. of act as a, a third uh, centre-back that's something that we've been doing as well to kind of give a make sure we've got a, a solid base to work from um so i think you know i think there's there's an awful lot of uh, of of similarities between the two um i think you know following the amazing amazon uh, amazon prime show about them i think there there's a lot more that that we could do better mm-hmm. i think to to match some of their their play um so for instance one thing that's i think we've we've mentioned it before with kind of Seri and, and Kearney playing together and both playing a bit deep I find it can be a bit frustrating at times when you know a, a pep team is all about pass and move yeah you pass you get into a, a good a good place you, you get the ball pass it and move and it just creates constant havoc and I think at times against some of the teams Seri and Kearney have both been a bit deeper yeah. running about a bit less and therefore they their passing ability is wonderful but without kind of that causing that kind of havoc you know we're not getting the spaces so maybe in in some sense we're missing someone like Stefan Johansson who can who can run around tie defenders up <laughs> Nick saying um, no <laughs> no I think we're, we're gonna we're Nick? gonna disagree on this one in a way in Nick I don't think Stefan Johansson should really see that many minutes in the Premier League why is that I just don't think he can pass at a Premier League level um, I mean, obviously he had a great assist against Exeter, but that's against League Two opposition. Yeah, with and all there was acres of space ball. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Millions of space. Um, I think, no, I think Johansson's very good at like the destructive work or as quote unquote, shithousery. Yeah. Shithousery. <laughs> um, but I don't think he's going to be able to do the box to box role he did so well in his first season at yeah. Fulham where he was able just to constantly run up the pitch, just whacking shots a lot probably because obviously we've got higher quality opposition and whatnot and he's just not got the physical build that someone like an Angiza has where he can yeah. just hold off players like Johansson did get robbed a couple of times particularly against Brighton yeah. like he was Massively. not good in that game so what makes us tick what makes Fulham decide that they are is it the length of the passes is it the the distribution under pressure there was a really nice chart that came out from I think it was uh, Stats Football on Twitter where there was a, a lovely um proportionate slide about uh, players that can uh, create passes in high tempo and uh, under very a large amount of pressure and then there's guys that take too long on the ball and lose it under pressure um, unfortunately Dele Alli was in there as well as Joe Rawls from Cardiff um, given that they're both of their respective teams main playmaker you'd argue 
that's probably not good reading but but how do Fulham stack up on there yeah so I think when when it comes to what what makes Fulham tick for me it's the players we've got out wide and the guys the the combination that they've got and you know we saw it loads last year with um, Target and Sess together and I think we're we're now starting to see it with with some of our new players their ability to overlap sometimes cut inside sometimes go outside opposition fullbacks really don't know what to do and the the two of, of Seri and Kearney in midfield they're the ones feeding those kind of runs and I think we're we're starting to see that from a wide point of view that's where we create a lot of danger yeah. I think what I'd maybe like to see more of is kind of more attacking in the centre and I think going from a, a 4-2-3-1 where Kearney was more advanced and now yeah. he's more reserved I think we're, we've still got that kind of really great wide options but but in the middle that's maybe something where what we're lacking I think yeah the fullback the fullback uh, overlaps um, well they're still in full force as we mm. can see I think Tim Fossum has actually been an upgrade on Ryan Fredericks yeah. because he yeah, actually can come inside um, and he can actually defend yeah <laughs> well <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no comment. But um, <laughs> but uh, and he's also got a good good shot him as well. And Joe Bryan's also been you know played at well the level Matt Target did for us last year. And at six million, he looks a really good purchase as well. So yes. I think the fullback's still extremely important to the way we play. And again, crosses it for Mitrovic, like the goal against Spurs where Bryan had acres of room to yep. just drive into mm. cross it, session at the back post. Be really interesting yeah. to get your quick thoughts on Joe Bryan. Obviously, he is an integral part to our team in the opening few matches, but his price tag at six million was half of what we were rumoured to be paying for my target. Mm. Thoughts on in comparison, just just in general, no stats. Really like on, Joe on Bryan. I really like Joe Bryan. I um, I didn't think I he was going to go to Aston Villa. I think yeah, I'm yeah, hundred percent sure. So I was I was actually a bit surprised that the of the Bristol City trio that only. Bobby Reed went to Cardiff, and I don't think Bobby Reed's that good. But Joe Bryan for six million, when you when you're getting the same level of output as Matt Target does defensively and attacking wise, and he just you know fits fits in seamlessly, it's a steal. And he's English, so you know, fullback at a fullback you know price yeah. with left backs, there's a big selling percentage there. Yeah, I think I think he's been I think he's been good. I think you know the the natural comparison is how did Target do when he first joined the team? And we all know like Target hit the ground running. And I think against a lesser opposition does help. But I think, you know, he's he's got kind of big shoes to fill. Um, a lot of the fans wanted Target and you can completely understand why. Yeah, um, but, you know, I definitely think he, he offers a, a lot of a lot of similarities to Target. I think we've already seen from a crossing point of view, you know, he's a he's a real danger there. Um, and yeah, I think he's a I think he's a good solid buy. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's a good a good quality defender I don't think he's ever going to be you know if you compare him to someone like Mendy you know we're talking a bit about Man City <laughs> yeah. you know they they play have some similarities and they like to bomb forward and put crosses in but there's definitely a, a difference in quality between the two but I think he's a good a good solid defender in, in the inflated market that, that football has now I think six million's really good value yeah plus yeah. it's better than Ashley Young at left back so what's he going to be playing for England as well soon hopefully Get a good thirty million. That'd be nice. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. He's only so, twenty-four. As well. He's only twenty-four as well. Like he's still super young. I think that's what the thing about people forget how young our our squad is in general. We've and got Geese is player. twenty-three. Yeah, yeah. and Geese is twenty-three. Um, do you like Angus by any chance? Do you think? Yeah. <laughs> I can't really tell. Um, I think when we talk about people that are definitely well, they're definitely younger than we think they are. The one person that we should probably bring up straight away is Alexander Mitrovic, and obviously. 
We've got the hottest striker in the Premier League at the moment. Four goals in four games and three games in the trot he's scored now. Um, but but what other than goals, what does Mitro excel at? Is it distribution, is it overall play, hold-up play? What is it good at that perhaps we aren't seeing? I think we've found in the Premier League this season that a lot of teams are going to double up on him. So they're going to you know drop back a midfielder so... We can't. He can't post up on a centre back like he could last year. Like if you remember against Wolves for his goal, he turned. I think it was Connor, Connor Cody, Cody yeah. and then just smashed it in. He's, he's not going to get that opportunity. But as a result, we've kind of compensated for that for like the five or six seconds he gets by being able to hold it up. You know, a Seri or a Kenny is able to drive forward, pick it up, and then you know flick it over, and he scored. And um, sorry, Schurler scored against Brighton yeah. for that. So, yeah, that's um his physicality and hold up play. He knows how to use his body extremely well, which is. Just such a such a bonus for Fulham and Jukanovic, and well, as we've seen, Jukanovic knows how to get the best out of it. Yeah, I think from my side, so I was digging digging through the data, and I found two things which I think he was really really good at. So, yep. firstly, from a defensive point of view, like if you compare his defensive output to other attackers, um, he's in the kind of upper quartile, so he's you know he's one of one of the best in the league for that. So when you say defensive output, what, what kind of things are we looking at here? Because obviously to us, it, mm. it can all make sense. But to, to those at home, what does defensive output have and, uh, and how, does he, how does he contribute? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, maybe taking a, taking a bit of a step back, I think attacking stats are, are quite easy for people to understand because you know you can look at goals and assists and expected goals and, expected goals and whatever. And yeah. you know if someone's scoring at a, a rate of a goal a game, that's really good. But if someone's uh, averaging one tackle a game, it's kind of quite difficult to know whether that's you know whether that's good or not. So yeah. I think that's where things like comparing them against similar players. I think that's where it's it's a lot easier to work out actually whether whether someone's strong or not. So the classic things you look at, you know, you need to take everything with a pinch of salt, and you know where you can maybe adjust for possession. So like if you're a team that has the ball two-thirds of the time you're going to have less defensive outputs you've got less defensive stuff to do so taking with a pinch of salt and kind of accounting for possession the things you look at are tackles per 90 inceptions per 90 aerial duels uh, how many of them you win things like that and when you you bring them all together see how someone looks compared to a compared to other players that's where you can kind of start to paint a paint a picture really yeah um so Kind of with that in mind, you know, Mitrovic is up there with the the top kind of defending forwards. Yeah. Um, and I think we saw. I don't know if he took the ball um, off for his the um, was it his first or second against Brighton, kind of harrying yeah. one of the defenders, and then it was the second. Yeah. yeah. And you know that kind of high high pressuring when you win the ball that high up, yeah, you get really high quality chances. So I think mm -hmm. that's one thing he's really good at. The second thing from assist from shots so having a shot which is either deflected or saved or off the post yeah. um he got four assists last year which was the highest in the championship yeah. considering he only played half the half the <laughs> season that's pretty good um and you know what what i really liked he quite often would from the right hand side shoot across goal yeah and then that's where you know the keeper's probably going to parry it and Cess was there more often than not to kind of to poach it in so yeah first first one I immediately think of when you say that is Jordan Archer for Millwall yeah. who yeah. parries it straight into the path of Cessna and yeah. we take the lead in the tough game absolutely and I think that's you know let's face it most of the time you shoot you don't score I mean a good striker scores about one in four shots so if you can get a shot on and have a chance of someone like Cess poking it into the other yeah. side you know I, I really I really like that combination so I think that's 
for me, that's a couple of things that you know Metro adds adds to the to the game. Yeah, and offensively, his output is we ridiculous. Talk about defensively, what but what about offensively? Because me myself and a few of the other guys on the podcast have actually noticed how well his distribution ha- has come on, in, especially over the summer, and how he's really uh, building up chances. So be good to know more. I think in terms of shots, only two strikers in the league um, have more shots than him. Mo Salah and Sergio Aguero. And that's <laughs> as high echelon as you can get right there. Um, he's just a shot-generating machine. Like he, And the areas where he gets into shots are just brilliant. Like We saw the header... Um, the, the second goal, his second goal against Burnley, like he just waited patiently, drive into the the box where you know he could get a good header off, and he's very intelligent in terms of that regard. Like it's for the um, bright, our second goal against Brighton, he knew that um, Lewis Duncan misread the ball, and he instantly put himself in a position yep. to succeed. I'm going to put my wedge myself between the ball and Dunk. Yep. I've got the physicality to hold him off. And he just drove forward and well scored on the second shot. So, so obviously Mitrovic is is by far and away looking like our best player at the moment but it'd be great to to get from you uh, in a couple of short words because we're running out of time fairly rapidly um, who our most underrated player is and why uh, based on stats alone if we can uh, and who is our star player based on stats I think we probably know the answer but it'd be good to to uncover some gems I really like Luciano Vieto at left wing um, obviously a, a key component under Diego Simeone before we went to Atletico I can't remember which club but uh, Villarreal Villarreal um, he averages 3.24 key passes per 90, which is an astounding at point. So key passes are uh, passes that le- immediately to lead to a shot. Yep. He's, Fulham, he's got Fulham's most assists. It's just general all-around intelligence um, is superb. Again, like Slav clearly likes him because he's obviously, you know, taken out Sesany on the wonder kid yeah. for Vieto. You know, against the Mitrovic's second goal for Burnley, like when he received the ball, waited for the time, saw the Mitrovic trade the run pinged it perfectly Mitrovic had a goal he's just an extremely smart player really like him and I think Sessegnon could actually learn a lot from him in terms of being patient how to pass to others getting crosses in etc yeah. I really like him I think he's extremely underrated and, and your star player Jean-Michel Serri I mean <laughs> of course <laughs> he's just he seems to be two or three steps ahead of everyone like yeah. have we seen anyone quite like this play for us in in the centre of park I mean, personally he outstrips Moussa Dembele for me. I yeah, don't know about I'd you agree. guys. I, I know it's very, very early to make this call. Well, he's a different, four different, games in. different sort of player. but um, Slightly, but in terms of talent and in terms of... I sit there at times, and I said it on the Fulhamish tweets this weekend against Brighton, I can't believe that we've signed him. I li- yeah. literally can't. He, um, he has the second most assists, um, expected assists behind... Um, so, which are basically expected goals. So key passes, Yeah, key pass, yeah. value, playing, placing a quantitative value on key passes. Um, he is the second most behind Vieto by about 0.01. So is that in the whole league? In the, no, just for Fulham. Oh. Just for Fulham. But, um, you know, he's... I, I, Jean- uh, Seri is just excellent. Like, I've really never seen anyone quite like him just... Just be able to know where everyone is and link yeah. it up. He was a bit off against Crystal Palace, but obviously... First game. That was the first yeah. game, getting to know everyone. But that Burnley game, it was, you know, it really was a midfield masterclass. And George? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say my underrated and then quickly go into my star player because I think Nick's going to disagree with me and want to jump in and explain why I'm wrong. But I like Johansson. He's... Um, I think, you know, what, what we need to think about, you know, scoring about 10 goals and 10 assists in the two season that he, he was with us in the championship. You know, that's that's really impressive in any league to have, to, you know, get, I don't know if he quite got double digits, but he was there or thereabouts. And that's, you know, that's really impressive. And I think I, you know, I 
you know, I do agree that we've we've probably got better players than him now, but I think he's still going to be a, a really important asset. And I think, you know, that's where Slav's starting to use him, you know, coming on late and giving that bit of energy and drive when maybe TC and Seri's legs are, are lagging a bit. So yep. for me, I think he's 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 an underrated guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I want to pick someone other than Seri. I really we do. Can't, we can't. We can't. Um, I think the <laughs> I think for me, Angis is a, a close second. Yeah. But it, it's got to be Seri. You know, the his his control on the ball, his defensive output. You know, for a playmaker, he he really gets stuck in. Um, you know, we've seen he's got a, a wonderful long shot on him. Goal of the goal of the month. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he adds he adds so much to the play and makes. You know, we've seen with star players before. Berbatov was a star player. Yeah, loved the guy, but he didn't always make the team better because yeah. it was all about him. Seri's on another level, but he makes everyone around him play better. And I think yeah. I, I fully agree. I think for me, that's why above Moussa Dembele, he's he's the best player I've I've ever seen in a, in a film show. Guys, unfortunately, this is all we have time for. Um, it's been a great debut episode. Thank you very much for coming in, and thank you for your wonderful insight over this past 20, 25 minutes. Um, this is the debut version of the Stat Show, as I know, for all the viewers and listeners at home. This episode will be available to download as a podcast, but also be available on YouTube. Um, so please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're over a thousand uh, subscribers now. So I'd just like to say thank you for that on behalf of the, all of Fulhamish. Uh, thank you to George and thank you to Nick uh, for coming on. And thank you for tuning in to the first ever Stat Show from Fulhamish. Cheers. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.